Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special midweek, or I guess it's the end of the week, but it's a special second part of the week of the House Divided podcast. Uh, we are here because basketball is starting, and it turns out three sports are too many to cover in one episode a week. Yeah, I guess we're going to get people uh, back to, again, if you're planning things around our podcast, it'll be closer to an hour instead of uh, having you walk a dog for an hour and a half. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll hopefully try and get in a little bit of a rhythm with the two, especially while we got three sports going on. But a uh, pretty busy week upcoming here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we have uh, Michigan State and their season opener on Tuesday. It's a huge game against Kentucky. Michigan also opens their season. We have hockey for both teams next weekend. Michigan State football plays next weekend. So we have a big week coming up. But because we did not get to it in the last show like we promised we were going to, we are going to open up with Charles's mailbag question that we took on Twitter earlier this week is at CHW35, and he asked, using past or present UM and MSU players, build me your starting lineup for Michigan and Michigan State basketball. Who would win and pick a coach for added fun? The rules are that players and coaches have to be from said program to be on said team. So I have to pick Michigan players. Jeremy has to pick Michigan State players. And uh, the players have to be playing in the correct position so we can't just build a lineup of huge players and whatnot. We have to go position by position. So I have my team of all Michigan players. I guess we can't do John Boyce breaking Madden style and, uh, and make beef tanks. Yeah, I guess not. Um, So I'll start, uh, and I want to start with the disclaimer that, as many of you know, I am still pretty young. I'm only 21, so most of my viewing of college basketball uh, has been since John Beeline was coached. So all five of my players are John Beeline uh, coached players. So I'll start with that point guard. I think it's a pretty obvious choice. I'm taking Trey Burke. Because, you know, (laughs) if anybody who watched Trey Burke in his two years at Michigan, uh, we've had some pretty good point guards since and before that, but he was definitely the most electrifying offensively. So I'm going to take Trey Burke there. I think uh, I wasn't going to be putting Keith Applin on the team, but that definitely made it so it's not going to happen for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Don't want – I'm sure you wouldn't want those two on the same court. Um, (laughs) No. Uh, at the shooting guard position, I'm taking Nick Stauskas. Uh, I don't know if we're taking specific years, probably just over the career, but uh, sophomore year Trey Burke with sophomore year Nick Stauskas. I played in different years, obviously, would just be insane. You might have an issue of only having one ball, but still Nick Stauskas was completely electrifying in his second year in the program and was a real driver on offense. This might not be a super good defensive team, by the way, but they're going to score a lot. <laughs> um, at the small forward, I'm going to put Tim Hardaway there. And just to make sure, I know he primarily played the two, but I'm going to go with it's not cheating because I checked the Ken Palm page for his teams, and they played him a pretty decent-sized chunk at the three. So I'm going to say it counts, and I'm taking Tim Hardaway Jr. there. And at the four, I'm taking Glenn Robinson the third. This is basically that 2013-14 team with a different center. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm taking Glenn Robinson the third just for his pure athletic ability. Um, and then at the center, this one may surprise some people. But I'm going with John Teske. Because oh. he's, yeah, yeah, he's such a solid rim protector. And I would just – I. Nothing against Xavier Simpson because his connection with John Teske over the past year and a half and going into their senior years has been awesome. But it would just be different seeing Trey Burke play in the pick and roll with John Teske. And the fact that he's such a rim protector, uh, I, I thought he was probably the best option as a pure center. So that's my team. And John Beeline is the coach because he is the only coach I've ever known at Michigan. And I absolutely love him. So there's my team. It's Trey Burke, Nick Soskis, Tim Hardaway Jr., Glenn Robinson the third, and John Teske, coached by John Beeline. Well, so if we're playing uh, 
uh, games with guys who are in shape right now, your team is definitely going to be in better shape. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit older than you, Brennan, but I did not see this guy play live. But so the hardest, uh, the hardest one for me to choose is honestly point guard. I think uh, I got it down to Mateen, Cassius Winston, or the guy I decided to go with, which was if you go by what he actually played, uh, would be Magic Johnson. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could think about moving him around, being that it was a different time back in 79 and everything like that. But uh, he probably wouldn't be point guard nowadays, maybe. But uh, that's what I would definitely uh, go with. Um, you know, I have to uh, have to honor the guy who's the original <laughs> um, yeah. uh, as far as an MSU point guard. And really, uh, and that was probably the hardest position to choose for me. Uh, and of course, a guy that I've never seen play. So I'm going off of old videos and uh, and really what you're told about um, for Magic at the point guard. Yeah, the, uh, only, then, one that I, the only one that I thought about taking, uh, really, like there are a couple players, obviously, like Fab Five era that I right. thought about taking. But uh, Juwan Howard, I really considered. But then I just figured I didn't know enough to really use that. So that's the only reason I didn't. But, yeah, go on. So Magic Johnson, yeah. that's a pretty decent start for you. Yeah. And then another guy that I never saw, but I've heard some uh, some pretty awesome stories about, including uh, <laughs> him scaring off some recruits, uh, was Sean Respert uh, as the shooting guard. Uh, you know, over 2,500 points in his career. Um, and just kind of, you know, he's got his jersey retired for a reason. So, uh, especially in the current age of shooting threes, having a guy that shoots 45% from three for his career isn't a bad look, um, especially yeah. if he's got Magic Johnson dishing him. Uh, so that would be uh, my shooting guard there. Um, strong forward or small forward, rather. I mean, uh, I had a tough time with this one, too, but I went with Morris Peterson. Uh, just because he's probably straight up my favorite player that ever played at MSU that was uh, not more of like a bench depth guy because uh, A.J. Granger will always be my favorite. But uh, I definitely went with, uh, um, you know, Mo Pete as my favorite guy on that national championship team probably that had a pretty good NBA career too. So, so that's so – uh, yeah, I didn't recognize the name. So that was – is that 99 or 2000? Uh, it would have been the the game would have been two thousand, but it was a ninety nine two thousand season. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He played with like the Raptors and a bunch of other teams. He ended up having probably like a ten or fifteen year career in the NBA. He was uh, oh. pretty special. Um, then at power forward, uh, you'll probably uh, also again before my time, but you and I probably know him best from being on the Pistons broadcast. <laughs> is uh, Greg Kelser. Um, he played on the teams with Magic and uh, was probably one of the best fours that MSU has ever had. Uh, and I think it'd be awesome to get him and Magic back together uh, in this time machine that we have. Yeah. Uh, and then at center, I really struggled. I wanted to go with Jaron Jackson here, but I guess if you go again, technically by what he played at MSU, uh, Draymond pretty much played center when he was here. Um, and I also thought about squeezing in Paul Davis, uh, but I think Draymond is just hard to pass up. So, and again, sticking with my, my theory of if they have their jersey retired, since Draymond's getting his retired this year, he probably belongs on the list here. Yeah, and uh, that's, a, that's a good team. Really interesting how we ended up. Obviously, you had a bit more to work with, uh, I would say, considering yeah. in state's illustrious basketball history. And not that Michigan's is bad, but, um, you know, when you have Magic Johnson and so many just really good players like that. Um. I we'll we'll put a poll on our Twitter saying uh voting for who would win. With the teams that we picked, um it's probably gonna be a situation of your philosophy of what generation of basketball you think was better. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause uh yeah, I all of the oldest player I have on my team uh is Tim Hardaway Jr. So <laughs> Can we talk about uh the the amazing gifts we would get of Draymond Green talking shit with John Teske though. Yeah. Like the, uh, oh, the difference in personality there would be, <laughs> yeah. would be something to behold. That's for sure. And then you'd have Stauskas, uh, probably coming in from Michigan. So that would be, uh, it would be a fun floor to have mic'd up. I feel like. Stauskas and Draymond never got to play against each other. Did they? 
I don't think so. I think they would have not. Uh, I think Stoutsis would have been just after Draymonder. If they would have played each other, I think Stoutsis would have been maybe out, coming off the bench, if anything. Yeah. And uh, Bench Stoskis did not have that swagger that uh, sophomore Stoskis had. Um, For sure. Oh, but, man, those two would have just gone at it. The one I considered uh, that I really wish could have played against each each other, excuse me, um, is Mo Wagner and Draymond Green. How oh, fun. That'd be. Yeah. <laughs> well, we get that a little bit in the NBA now, I guess, right? But, uh, yeah, yeah being but that in the rivalry the game game. would be awesome. Yeah, it would have been cool. But, yeah, so that was a little fun exercise. Got to see a couple different perspectives. And, man, we could could have got some fun matchups if a couple years would have just overlapped a little bit. But that brings us to the present. And lots of hype surrounding this current Michigan State basketball team. And I don't know of a way to find this out, but I just think it is insane. And I know Ken Palm isn't some type of official stat that's used, but we have in the first game of the year the number one Ken Palm team playing the number two Ken Palm team in Michigan State versus Kentucky on Tuesdays. Um, so, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. First, we'll go through. I know you obviously didn't see the secret scrimmage because nobody did, but did you get to watch the exhibition game for Michigan State? Uh, not much, no, because of uh... – my my fight against BTN Plus, I did not actually see it. Um, just kind of heard the breakdown, which sounded like a pretty typical early Izzo uh, season game. Too many turnovers, which is always a concern around here. Uh, and then you also had, um, I think the only thing that you would be a little let down by coming out of the game was probably uh, Marcus Bainham got pushed around apparently by a guy that's six foot six, uh, which is not great uh, uh, for what we're hoping to get out of Marcus. But I think a positive was maybe Thomas Kidier, like we kind of talked about on Thursday, getting all the rebounds and everything. Um, but, yeah, and it seems like, you know, with uh, injuries and everything as they are with Kyle Arns, uh, we're going to see a lot of Rocket Watts early on against Kentucky. So that's uh, probably going to be the guy to watch or probably the one uh, that people are going to be most excited about that they don't really know much about compared to, obviously, Cassius or anybody returning. Yeah, um, and yeah, obviously, uh, I guess, guess with uh, an established coach in your program, the exhibition stuff isn't going to do much for you like it did for me. Um, right, of course, so, yeah. And we'll get into that. So I'm pulling up Kentucky on uh, Bart Torvik's website. This is going to be a, a pretty epic game. Do they play in the first or the second game in the Champions Classic on Tuesday? Uh, so they are the second game, which – you know, I think when they started this Champions Classic years ago, I think this is probably what they were hoping for one day, but they actually have – I think we actually have the top four teams playing in it, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Uh, one and two are playing in, I believe, is Kansas, and uh, uh, Kansas and Duke are three and four, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, but we play the second game, so it's supposed to be 9.30. Going off of the way the other Champions Classics games have gone, though, I would say 9.45 or 10 o'clock is probably more accurate. So – going to be a late night Tuesday night uh catching the Spartans play uh Kentucky yeah and uh but it it should be a really really good game and I mean obviously we don't actually know anything about these teams we just know what the hype they're supposed to have uh but Kentucky comes in they are the number two rated team on Ken Palm like I mentioned earlier number 12 on Bart Torvik's uh projections um but here I'm looking at their top 10 projected contributors and nobody will be shocked to hear this, but in the top five, three of them are freshmen. So yeah, yeah Kentucky is for sure the toughest team unless you really follow recruiting or get the chance to see like the peach jam or things like that. Uh, yeah. We're really probably just going off of whatever rivals writers have told us <laughs> about yeah. uh, what to expect out of these guys. So yeah, they're, uh, they're going to be the hardest team to project probably out of uh, the teams we'll talk about tonight just because uh, we're not uh, basketball experts to begin with. <laughs> There's not even a, much returning in the way of uh, talent outside of maybe Ashton Hagens uh, for Kentucky that we know a decent amount about. Yep, and you're, you're exactly correct, and that is also correct about not us not being basketball experts, but – um, I will say, though, MSU fans will probably keep an eye on Keon Brooks because we were in on him uh, 
that was definitely more of a head-to-head recruiting battle. Um, so I think MSU fans might be a little bit, especially if you follow the recruiting, you're probably more aware of uh, Keon Brooks and who he is. So that probably will be a guy that uh, we'll keep an eye on just, just out of name familiarity. But yeah, it should be interesting to see what uh, Cal can do getting these freshmen ready for night one. Yeah, it will be. And it's a definitely a big stage. And that's honestly why I'm going to give the edge to Michigan State. Uh, it, going back to Ken Palm, it has the, their projected result of this game is a 72 to 70 win uh, for Michigan State. They have a 55% chance. So it's basically a toss up. And in a toss up like that, I'm, you, you have to give the edge to the team with the senior led, uh, you know, a senior point guard. Uh, who is literally a returning All-American, which just does not happen in college basketball anymore. Um, uh, Do you you have any, like, specific thoughts? Because I I haven't taken a hard look at Kentucky, and even if I did, it would be hard to project anything. Um, So do you have any thoughts Uh, going into this game? I think, think, honestly, the X factor will probably end up being um, Aaron Henry, actually. It's going to be kind of my X factor. Uh, In the exhibition, I think he was – forcing his offense a little bit. Um, I think he, you know, has a ton of hype, which is good. He came off of a great run in the tournament last year, um, was an excellent player that really finally broke out after struggles with shooting most of the early season. Uh, but I think, again, he went to a little bit of forcing it from what I was kind of hearing from, like, Brendan Quinn and some other people uh, after the game against Albion. So I think uh, Henry's going to be probably the X factor for MSU if he's uh, he's playing his lockdown defense, which he's very capable of doing. And he, at the same time, is, you know, more of an offensive impact rather than just uh, forcing offense, but facilitating and, and getting into the flow of the offense that they want to run. I think that'll bode well for MSU. Um, and on top of that, uh, the other most important thing is to keep uh, Xavier Tillman out of foul trouble. Because right now, I think the most uncertain position is kind of who you bring off the bench as your backup five and what that does to your lineup. Um, you know, especially uh, if it's out there with anyone with, you know, that probably will stretch Cassius more and just because you would want a leader out there. So uh, keeping Xavier out of foul trouble early and then also Aaron Henry having a really good game is going to be most important for MSU. Yeah, and that sounds right to me as an outsider. I and mean, I'm just really excited to watch this game. Uh, just as a college basketball fan, not even looking at it from my like my personal team's perspective. Obviously, every Michigan fan watches Michigan State games with a little bit of an eye on like how we're going to be able to compete. But just as a college right. basketball fan, this is going to be a really exciting game to watch, and I am looking forward to it. Michigan State. Wouldn't it be nice if uh, we could get college football to do this, right, and actually <laughs> give you a good week one? Man. Like that's what I love about college basketball. We don't have to wait for uh, some marquee matchups. We get, you know, first week of the game starting up, and we get some awesome games to watch. Yeah, and it's really cool. That's why the Champions Classic is just really fun in general. But um, it, it it happens all over though. Week by week, there's always a really good game on, and uh, it it I definitely think I love college football, but I I prefer college basketball season just a little bit, um, just being objective because there's more fun games throughout the year. It seems like there's more chaos. I feel like we're losing a little bit of that chaos element in college football that used to be very present. And, yeah. yeah. But uh, Michigan State goes into this game as a two-point favorite, so Vegas agrees with Ken Palm. Still basically a toss-up. Uh, I guess it's prediction time. Normally we'd go with uh, do they cover or not, but uh, it's basically a talk, basically a pick them. Uh, so w- what are your thoughts? I'll let you go first. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, MSU has actually been pretty decent at the Champions Classic, uh, winning some games that I didn't expect them to going into it. Um, you know, it's hard to know when you're facing a team full of freshmen. They either come out and answer the bell with being awesome or they get run off the floor like Duke did to Kentucky last year. So uh, I don't think either one of those happens, but I do think MSU wins just with that experience uh, that they have and just the consistency of knowing more who they are at this point. I think they will be uh, uh, the winners on Tuesday night. 
Yep, and I'm going to agree with you there. I think Michigan State's going to win a game that probably is going to be back and forth to a point, probably within teams trading five to seven point leads. Uh, and then I think down the stretch, Michigan State is just going to take over and probably win by about 10. Um, so that's that's our thoughts on that game. Now leading into something completely different, literally the opposite, is Michigan coming into this season, as you heard from our preview a couple of days ago, brand new coach in Juwan Howard. Uh, and so I, I watched about the first 60, 75% of the exhibition against Saginaw Valley State. Unfortunately for you, no meteor like you were hoping for, but uh, it felt weird, man. Like I turned it on and within the first four minutes, they're running the floor, uh, yeah. going in transition. And I have literally never seen Michigan play like that in my life. It felt so say, yeah. weird. They shot within the first 10 seconds of the shot clock and it wasn't a immediate yeah. benching. Yeah, no, it was crazy. I, and it, this is no disrespect to John Beeline. Cause like I said, he brought, he turned this program around and made it a contender again. And I also enjoyed his style of play. But uh, the first couple of thoughts I have is like, man, this is, it, this might be super frustrating when we lose, but this is going to be fun, you know? Yeah. I mean it, – It's nice to have a new style, right? I it, think uh, it is. it's going to feel like if MSU was to hire, like, you know, a Cliff Kingsbury acolyte this offseason, yeah. uh, <laughs> we would say the same thing. Like, okay, our defense isn't going to be as good, and maybe we lose some games because of our offense being too quick or just making too many mistakes. But we take that over the uh, <laughs> seven points in three games or whatever. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of get into a couple of specifics, um, I did not realize Xavier Simpson would look this comfortable running the floor. And I, I had just always assumed because I've only seen him, seen him run one type of offense, but he uh, definitely used his handle to his advantage and his passing. Just it, it didn't really lose a beat when uh, going at the faster pace. Uh, him and Isaiah Livers have really built up a repertoire with each other. Um, and Livers, he's a lot leaner this year, a little less thick. Uh, and the way he was running the floor, I think he had two or three alley-oops where they're running and he is just running downhill, doesn't look like he can be stopped, and X just threw it up to him and uh, he, he slammed it home. And that's just something that because of Michigan's nature, I never got to see, but it's really cool to see Isaiah's athleticism really jump out uh, to me. And then really my only other thought was Saginaw Valley went to his own defense for big, big chunks. And that really threw Michigan off. And hmm. I guess we could have predicted that going in, right? Because Michigan doesn't have any shooters that uh, they do have a couple of shooters. Isaiah Livers looked really good from three. Adrian Nunez could be a shooter. And then you have Franz Wagner, but Franz isn't here right now. So it uh, the zone defense really messed them up. There was that they jumped out to like a 15-point lead early in the game, and Saginaw Valley cut it all the way down to two uh, late in the first half. Michigan obviously pulled away even immediately and then uh, obviously ended up winning the game by 30 points. But – um, that zone defense really caught Michigan. Maybe didn't catch them off guard. Maybe they saw it coming, but they couldn't do much with it for a, not, for a solid five, ten-minute stretch. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's an issue, but I think it's also uh, – I'd probably be more concerned if they struggled with that, uh, with beeline on, on the bench and running consistent sets that you're used to. It's probably a mix of the zone giving Michigan trouble, but also they're still getting used to uh, the new things that they run. So – Yes. Uh, probably wouldn't be too concerning, but of course it is bad to put some stuff on film that um, now if you do face Michigan, you can of course think like, yeah, well, maybe we should run a zone if we're struggling or uh, just mix it in. But uh, I don't know how many teams they're going to play can actually run a good zone against them as well. Yeah, I know there will probably be a couple of teams that know how, like Beeline even, to know how to just throw a 1-3-1 one, one at them if something isn't working. Uh, and that might happen. 
But, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see teams just start to feel uncomfortable and try throwing a zone at them just because of their lack of shooters. But, yeah, uh, the scrimmage was – or not the scrimmage, but the exhibition was pretty cool to watch uh, just seeing a different team, and it just felt so different. But the real first real game is Tuesday against Appalachian State. Um, first of all, before we get into the basketball of it, there's not going to be much. But um, what is wrong with whoever scheduled this game? Why would you ever – I don't care what sport it is. Why would you ever schedule Appalachian State in an opener? I <laughs> – it's just, I don't know, man. There's something about your two schools where you just got to cross, uh, cross paths, apparently. It's such a, there are literally 340 Division I <laughs> basketball teams. I mean, Appalachian State is probably not going to win this game. Um, they're not, they're, uh, Torvik has them at 233. Let me see. Uh, Ken Palm has them at 203. So they're, they're not good, and they're probably going to get run out of the gym. But what a high-risk, no-reward type move. Because, sure, I guess in the grand scheme of things, if you lose to Appalachian State, it's the same as losing to some other team ranked between 200 and 250. Uh, but the memes, how do you not think yeah. about it? Oh, my God. It's, uh, you know, judging by how you guys did football, I assume that at some point we are going to get New Jersey IT back in the gym, right? And you got to – even out that series, it's uh, thank God they don't have a football team. But yeah, I don't know why they do this. Why, why you had the return game for football, and then why you have this game? Yeah, the return uh, game for football like is said, so much worse. Yeah, it's like you said. It's, it's at the end of the day, you, you guys will probably win and win comfortably. Uh, it's not even the same sport that the upset happened in. But uh, you know, I don't want you know uh, Michigan State to schedule Middle Tennessee State in football anytime soon. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, just because then I have to be reminded of the basketball game. So, uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. a lose-lose. I don't understand it, but that is what it is, I guess, right? So, I know I haven't mentioned it on the pod, I think, but have I ever told you I was at the Appalachian State game? Oh, goodness. Goodness, no. That's the off-season content. We're going to have to have you uh, just give me the blow-by-blow oral history of that. Yeah, yeah, we will because uh, I was nine and it was my third-ever Michigan game. And uh, I was literally, as we were walking to the stadium, my grandma said, I didn't want to take you to a nail biter. So here's this game. Oh, grandma. Yeah. Grandma. Tough tough look. But, uh, yeah, in terms (laughs) of the basketball of this game, there's not much to say. Appalachian State's very bad. Um, Michigan will probably – struggle for portions of the game, but eventually win by between 15 and 20. Ken Palm has it as an 18-point win where they have a 96% chance to win. So uh, we'll see. There will be more to talk about on Thursday, um, and we'll, we'll get to talk about probably the individual aspects of who's doing what and how it looked. But, yeah, they'll probably win and win comfortably. Not much else to say on that front. Yeah, for sure. They should definitely uh, – uh, work out some kinks and uh, have a nice relaxing game before their schedule gets a little bit more difficult when you start looking ahead to like Atlantis and things like that. Yep. And uh, Jeremy, there was some hockey this weekend. That's what people keep telling me. I, ah, man. Yeah. Did you, so I guess we'll kind of get out uh, as far as like how much we can analyze it. Um, did you have a chance to see much of Michigan versus Ohio State this weekend? Or I watched Friday's game in its entirety. Okay. Very frustrating. Uh, Saturday, I was into work at 5 when the game started and wasn't out till midnight, and I knew I didn't really want to go back and watch it, so I just paid attention on my phone, and apparently that one was a heartbreaker as well. So, yeah. Um, Ohio State's good. So I, we can start with that, right? Like. Oh, yeah. Ohio State yeah, is I think a good team. In the grand scheme of things, that you're not going to be upset uh, losing, especially on the road, being swept by Ohio State. Um, you know, it's still frustrating if you're making mistakes and you had the chance to early in the season take some points off a team that is predicted to probably win the league. Uh, you would love to steal some away points from them. But, uh, yeah, it, it sounded like uh, – I think frustrating Friday for sure because it sounded like Michigan was ahead for uh, – 
uh, long stretches of the game, but just couldn't hold on. Yeah, and it 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 kind of avalanched. Um, so in the first period of that Friday game, Ohio State was dummying them. Like it wasn't even close. Michigan ended up getting a scrappy goal at the end of a power play at the end of the first, um, in which like their power play sucked and they just ended up getting a scrappy goal, getting a good bounce around the net. But still there was a point in the first where they were being outshot 10 to one. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, then the second, they actually, for the first 15 minutes of it, were just dominating and carrying the play, got another goal to go up 2-0 and had you feeling pretty comfortable. And then uh, they gave away – it was a dumb penalty with about five minutes left where it helped Ohio State build some momentum. As I was in the middle of the saying to my girlfriend, if they get out of this period up 2-0, I'm going to feel a lot better. As I was getting towards the end of that sentence, Ohio State scored, make it 2-1. <laughs> and then uh, – You didn't just, learn like, from I, grandma, Brendan. Yeah, I know. I can never talk during any game ever. Just <laughs> um, no, so towards the end, and then just that coming out of the third, it looked like Ohio State was just determined that they were going to go take it to them, and they did. Ended up going up 3-2, and I think the final was either 3-2 or 4-2 with an empty netter, but Michigan was never really threatening towards the end. It was just a really, really good um, – Really good get performance from Ohio State to come back, but uh, frustrating for Michigan. And apparently the Saturday game was something similar where uh, I know Ohio State scored first on the power play and Michigan evened it up. And then I think the game-winning goal for Ohio State to make it 2-1 came with like two minutes left or something. So it's a weekend where you go into it and you're told, hey, this is a really good team picked to win the league. Um, and you're on the road for both games. You're going to lose both. I would have been like, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. But just the way that it happened just felt crushing. Yeah, especially being a – I'll give them credit to a quasi-rival. I still refuse to call Ohio State your hockey rival. Oh, uh, I agree. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a quasi-rival. You don't want to get swept early in the season by them, um, you know, especially uh, with having the lead for so long Friday night. You'd love to get some points that first game, and if you lose Saturday, okay, we, we got something out of Friday. But a little bit of a frustrating weekend uh, for the Wolverines, that's for sure, uh, going down to the uh, to the mausoleum in Columbus. Yep, and, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, it's pretty funny how Ohio State is only the number one rival to Michigan in one sport, and I don't think that can even really be debated. Uh, but <laughs> when football is the one sport, it uh, – makes sure sure paints the view a little bit differently um yeah yeah that bring, yeah that brings us to uh your team playing Cornell this weekend and I know you were at both games yep. um, the first one from it sounds like was a back and forth close affair but then what happened on night two <laughs> uh so actually to be honest the the same issues that came up Friday night were what did them in Saturday night too um they struggled both nights really at five on five, getting pressure, uh, playing well on five on five. All four, so MSU lost the games uh, three two Friday night, six two on Saturday, um, and on all four goals were power play goals for the Spartans. So uh, feel good about the power play going, but Cornell is an extremely defensive team, uh, similar into what you saw earlier in the year when Michigan took on Clarkson. Uh, they're just ECAC, really big guys. They're going to trap in the neutral zone. Uh, you're not going to get odd man rushes. You're not going to get those easy uh, breakdown goals. Yeah. So MSU really struggled to get five on five going. Uh, they continued to keep Kodarenko and Lewandowski separated, which I think is probably the right call at this time. Uh, but with that, you just lose a little bit of, you know, one line being able to at least get them you know, dominate possession in their zone, uh, at least one shift. So Friday night, um, they actually were probably, I think, the better team for, you know, about 50 to 60% of the game, uh, jumped out to a one nothing lead. Uh, Cornell evened it up, and then MSU, again, on a beautiful power play set up on an actual four-on-three power play, mm -hmm. uh, took the lead two to one. But they were, I think the refs were really trying to uh, – uh, they knew they probably had two pretty chippy teams. Uh, and Friday night had a lot of penalty calls. I think 
MSU took eight minor penalties and Cornell six. Oh. Uh, so there's a lot of calls. And, and right now MSU is really, for the second year in a row, their penalty kill is just not in a good way. Um, right now, I actually just looked it up on USCHO. They are the fifth worst team on the penalty kill uh, in the country. So um, you really can't be taking penalties if that's going to be <laughs> where you're at as a team. Um, so that was the killer Friday night. Uh, and Friday night, really, it was just they had a bad six-minute stretch there where Cornell tied it and then got it the uh, winning goal. And they just couldn't really answer in the third. Friday night, uh, it actually – it was a really weird game to where – uh, they got down four nothing after two periods, but two of those goals in the third or in the second period were deflections. Um, one that Deritter still probably should have had. Uh, but I think I looked up midway second period and the shots were something like eleven for Cornell to seven for MSU. So it just seemed like Cornell was finally getting what they wanted, which is they were just locking it down, making it a very slow game, uh, played mostly in the neutral zone. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and the penalty calls were a lot less too. They should, they picked up more penalty calls in the third, uh, the refs did, but and that's when MSU added two power play goals, but it was just, it, Cornell is going to be a style that's tough for them. MSU's size has gotten a lot better since Dan Cole has come in, but they still are a little undersized or a little bit of a different style than a, a style like Cornell is going to play. So if you spot Cornell, a two or three goal lead they're just going to go into their shell and you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to have a good night. I think the first period when MSU looked pretty good, they had seven shots on that, but Cornell had six blocked shots or something like that. So yeah, um, they just played in a shell and, uh, and MSU couldn't break through. And once they got frustrated, they took bad penalties and then those bad penalties led to goals against and it, uh, it just kind of snowballed. Um, so don't want to take too much out of it. I don't think this, uh, you know, getting swept by the number four team in the country does not mean this is going to be a bad year. Um, but certainly, as they go in to play Penn State next weekend, you've got to quit taking so many penalties because uh, this team, A, needs to be better at five on five, and B, uh, is just not killing penalties at a rate right now where you can, you know, you're going to need to score four or five goals a night if you're taking eight penalties with this penalty kill right now. Yeah, and I think that's a great uh, transition into Penn State because I wanted to talk about some of the, you know, we previewed the whole Big Ten on our hockey episode, so I figured we should give mm-hmm. the listeners a little bit of an update about the Big Ten uh, because Michigan State was actually out of the seven Big teams, the Big Ten teams, the only one not to start uh, league play this weekend, and the so the two series outside of Michigan versus Ohio State was. Penn State hosted Wisconsin, and Minnesota hosted Notre Dame. But let's start with that Penn State series. They swept Wisconsin, who is a team that had a lot of hype going into the series, but they dominated them. I mean, they, they won 6-1 to on Thursday night and 4-2 to on Friday night. You talked about not wanting to take a penalty, take a lot of penalties going into Hockey Valley next weekend. Uh, yeah, because this, uh, this scoring attack looks deadly. Yeah, and I mean Wisconsin is still very bad at defense. Is what I that learned from watching the game Thursday night. They are very bad at defense, which they've been for years now. Uh, but yeah, it's you know that's always kind of been Penn State's mo since they started their program. They're going to have a lot of shots. They're going to score a lot of goals, um, and uh, they showed it this weekend. They haven't missed a beat. Uh, still going to be a pretty powerful offensive attack. Uh, I think for them that you got to be pretty happy that. You play Cole Caulfield, Ke'Andre Miller, and all the other talent against Wisconsin, and you get out of the series giving up only three goals. That's uh, that's a heck of a good weekend. So um, definitely, uh, they asserted themselves into the top of their league right now because they and they earned it. Uh, really dominating Wisconsin. Yeah, and uh, so big showing for them. So Wisconsin joins the club with Michigan as a team who went on the road and couldn't get a single point out of their first weekend. The other series being uh, Notre Dame, Minnesota. So that was one. Let me pull it up uh, exactly what happened. The first night ended in a tie, but that's not how it goes in the Big Ten. They have to go to a shootout or an additional overtime, uh, three on three. 
So, okay, let's just clarify because this is really confusing the way it's done in college hockey. <laughs> for, for those who don't uh, follow the Big Ten, so in college hockey, there are ties uh, in the regular season all the way up until tournament play for conference tournaments and obviously the NCAA tournament. If a game is even after 60 minutes, they have one five-on-five, five-minute overtime, and then it goes down as a tie in the official NCAA record books. However, in Big Ten play, after that first five-on-five overtime, there's going to be another five-minute overtime period uh, at three-on-three hockey, which I am a big fan of. I love three-on-three overtime. However, it's a little bit less exciting when you know it doesn't count towards the actual Big Ten standings. Or it does count towards the Big Ten standings when it doesn't actually go towards the pairwise and your – NCAA outlook but still they go to three on three overtime for five minutes and if still nobody scores then it goes to a shootout so got that out of the way um so the first night Notre Dame and Minnesota it officially went down as a tie and I think Notre Dame won in a shootout I'm having trouble reading no uh Minnesota won uh during the three on three oh they Uh, made a nice long stretch pass and uh came in on like a kind of like a two-on-one break there. So, yeah, Minnesota won, which was pretty impressive. Uh, there is – I saw uh, – when I got home from the MSU game, I saw probably the back half of that game, uh, like the back half of the second and the whole third in overtime. Uh, Notre Dame was pretty much in control, um, but Minnesota just answered a couple of times when Notre Dame would take the lead and uh, got it to an overtime session where uh, they got some big saves out of their goalkeeper and then uh, took advantage of – a Notre Dame defenseman jumping up into the play on a three-on-three overtime and uh, went the other way with a nice nice pass combination and got a goal. So technically for the standings, they got the extra point on Friday night. Or uh, Yeah, Friday night. Um, but, yeah, it was during the three-on-three. So tie nationally, uh, but extra point in the uh, Big Ten standings. Yeah, the way it reads on College Hockey News' website, is, it just says one shootout, one zero, zero. Oh, it says zero right <laughs> Yeah, it's, the hard part is that every league does it different. So when you run a website like College Hockey News, I guess they don't have uh, the ability to kind of <laughs> go oh, over yeah. all the different formats of the leagues. Yeah, we and this is more – we have plenty of off-season content, folks, because I think what we could literally do a whole episode on changes that should be made to college hockey. Um, and that's one of them is I think we need a uniform <laughs> overtime system. But, I mean, we do, but – I. We'll get into that when the offseason comes. But, yes, uh, Notre Dame actually got a road win on Saturday night, though, over Minnesota, 5-3. to three. So, right now, the um, standings lie out. Uh, Penn State and Ohio State are up at the top because they both got weekend sweeps. Minnesota – or, no, then it's Notre Dame who has four points, Minnesota with two, and then Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all at zero, although Michigan State hasn't played a league game yet. Right, right. Yep, they'll uh, they'll open up league play next weekend uh, on the road at Penn State before coming home for the uh, Thursday Saturday Michigan series. So important for them to get on the board. Hopefully, with some points, uh, it could be a nice nice way to go into the Michigan series with some points on the board. Yes, and uh, definitely would be big for Michigan State. Obviously, that's why the Michigan uh, getting swept probably hurt a little bit more than Michigan State because it's in the league play and. Uh, you need every point you can in this Big Ten, and so when you let them slip like that, it's really tough. Um, For sure, yeah, you hate to hate to lose a lead like that on the road, and um, you know it shows that you're even. So when you get back to Yost, hopefully you can help uh, help in that way. But it was a uh, sound like a frustrating night for Michigan on Friday. That's for sure. It certainly was, and uh, Michigan will come. They do come back home to Yost for the next three games. It's a, seri- a home series with Minnesota this weekend. Uh, a six thirty start on Friday and a three o'clock in the afternoon start on Saturday. Um, so that'll be should be a big series. Should be a fun series. I love watching. I see. I take Minnesota in hockey as a rival over Ohio State. Uh, so that, you should. That sounds that right. Definitely mean more <laughs> to me. Uh, seeing those two sweaters on the ice together definitely does more for me than the Michigan-Ohio State 
that is so forced nationally. I don't know if you've noticed that, but when they were back in the Frozen Four together uh, a couple of years ago, John Bucciagras kept on talking about how, I mean, a Michigan-Ohio State national championship would have been cool, but he was trying to like equate it to a if it were to happen in football, which is just so disingenuous. Uh, oh, completely. It'd be a lot closer completely. if it were a Michigan-Michigan State or Michigan-Minnesota uh, series or national championship game. Yeah, it's hard to be a rivalry when uh, probably 98% of an Ohio State fan base can't name one player on their hockey team. So, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, it's, it's not even close to a good rivalry. And that's all on Ohio State's end more so than Michigan. That's just a – a lack of caring about their hockey program on their side of things. So uh, surely not a rivalry at all. They yeah. were all probably watching the Blue Jackets Friday night instead. <laughs> That's hilarious because I was going to bring uh, – I don't know if you know who Allison Lucan is with the Athletics. She covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. And she does a lot of good work trying to promote Ohio State's college team and, like, talk about them and cover them a little bit, uh, men and women. And um, so she was just kind of talking about the series with Michigan on Twitter and uh, talked about how the when the final score was read out at Nationwide Arena, it got a big cheer. And I'm like, yeah, but those people don't care. They don't care. They just those all those people just hear Ohio State beat Michigan and that's where they tune out. And they're just like, woo! Here's here's your uh, here's where you know they don't care. I. I highly, highly doubt that Nationwide Arena ever reads an Ohio State score the rest of the season. Unless, again, it happens to be on Michigan night. So, yeah, 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 that's, that's, uh, that's Ohio State showing their ass like usual. Yep. Wow, great. That never happens. Um, <laughs> let's uh, dive into some football. We did have some football this weekend, and we did talk in pre-show about how we never really get to uh, talk about anything outside of our two schools because we just have to fit so much into these episodes. Um, so Michigan went and played Maryland and my thoughts on that might keep it pretty short. I would, even if we were covering this on Thursday, uh, they dominated them. Michigan, <laughs> they did exactly what we said they want. We, I should want them to do is they went and covered the spread and they did it by 10 points. Um, a little yep. bit, help from the special teams unit from that with the actually no I'm not going to count that because while they did get the kick return touchdown they also gave up a kick return touchdown so it should have let's just say instead of 38-7 31-0 from the actual the offense and defense uh Shea Patterson looked okay he had did not look as good as he did in the last game and a half against Notre Dame in the second half of the Penn State game but he still looks pretty good, uh, better than early season Shea Patterson. And the running game took a while to get going, which didn't make sense to me because we just saw Minnesota absolutely gash Maryland on the ground, and we just saw Michigan absolutely gash Notre Dame on the ground. But it took a little bit to get going. But Zach Charbonnet got a touchdown. Uh, Hassan Haskins got a touchdown. And the defense – uh, were in the first half, they were a little bit more bend, don't break, actually gave up a decent amount of yards. But the defense didn't actually allow a score. So all around good game against a very, very, very mediocre team. And they did keep the momentum going into the bye week before they play Michigan State in two weeks. So I was going to ask you because I saw – and I didn't know how to interpret, so I didn't really see much of the game. Um, caught a little bit of – think like this third quarter or something like that but I was kind of seeing on Twitter um Nick Baumgartner had some things and I couldn't tell if it was sarcasm or what was going on but they're just kind of saying that like this MS or the U of M offense isn't fixed still was that kind of like some like sarcasm or was it actually was there actually struggles going on that the score line didn't really uh show me I guess there was some struggles I mean I would okay Anytime you you put up 31 points, and I know this Maryland defense isn't very good, but I'm not going to be too upset. It wasn't a type of game where they completely wash away all your concerns, but they did enough. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, in the first half, it didn't look very good. They jumped out to a 14-point lead in the first seven minutes, but 
they took the opening kick return for a touchdown, forced a three and out from Maryland, and then the offense started with the ball on the Maryland, like, 38. So they didn't have to go very far to get that touchdown. Um, right. And they, they struggled for most of the half before getting a touchdown drive right at the end. And then, yeah, I guess I only scored 10 points the rest of the game. So the offense didn't look great, but I'm not going to be super concerned about it. Um, it might have just been a situation where the players just didn't get up for the game as much. I don't know. I didn't really get to watch this much from an analytic point because my hectic day yesterday, I had to leave in the middle of the second quarter to go to a family gathering and then kind of just was getting updates about the score and then watched it uh, real quick before I had to go into work. So, yeah, um, but uh, narrative-wise, though, they got a 31-point win. They covered the spread going into a bye week before they have to play a rival in uh, in two weeks, which, by the way, we should be getting a game time game times announced for that Saturday, either today or tomorrow for that Michigan State game. I think they have to announce uh. it tomorrow. At this point, I think it, it makes most sense, right, to do it like we're in London and just kick it off at 9 a.m. <laughs> that's, that's what I think. If the offense isn't firing on all cylinders like they were maybe the last the six quarters of the second half of the Penn State game and then the Notre Dame game and Michigan looks inept, uh, yeah, this is definitely going to be a game that should be played at 9 a.m. in London. And Yeah, yeah, if uh... – if it's not, I'm going to call the FCC and tell them that they have just some graphic content on during the day when my children are up. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> my non-existent children that have not happened yet. But uh, yeah, that's it's it's going to be so ugly. And that's actually my hope because if it's not ugly, it's going to be Michigan just throttling MSU. So uh, I'm hoping that it's ugly as hell. But yeah, that game time better be just something where you can hide it away. Yeah. You know, honestly, part of me – I know you can get after the last couple games, you might just get nihilistic if uh, Michigan kind of jumps out and it's not very close. It's kind of, I mean, obviously I'm hoping for that because I'm a fan of Michigan, but right. we have to hang out later. And if it's a close game that comes down to some <laughs> weird stuff, yeah, yeah, we just, we just, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting <laughs> day. Um, yeah, because the hockey game time hasn't been announced yet either because they're probably just going to do whatever the opposite of the Michigan, the, whatever the football game is. Right. Yeah. Um, in other news, I returned to form in Big Ten against the spread. So, albeit just the one game we disagreed on was Illinois Rutgers. Yeah. So, we'll count it as Which half I did win. watch part of, and it was, uh, it was bad. <laughs> it was so funny. I, I felt so awful that I'm sitting here texting you on Saturday. Uh, now I learn at a family event telling you that, like, hey, man, it's 10-10 at half. <laughs> oh, no, I was I was at work, uh, actually, by then. I had just okay. got in because that was a 3.30 game. So I was, I was in at work, and I hadn't been able to pay attention at all. It was one of those days where I walk in, and I have, like, four people in my face telling me something's wrong. So I get in, and then I just look at my phone, and I'm and I see – it's 10 10 I'm like oh my lord <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the next time I looked at the score the when I messaged you uh the screenshot that was not like I had kept checking up and finally found a time to text you it I was like I'll wait till it's a 28 point lead no I checked on the score for the next time and it's 38 to 10 I was yeah. so confused <laughs> Yeah, I think it was uh, – I, I, I left watching the game when it was – because I was watching, you know, obviously the world's largest outdoor, outdoor cocktail party instead or um, some other games like the UCF Houston game was on or uh, I, think she, I think that was a noon game. But, yeah, so I'm just kind of flipping around. I came back and there's nine minutes left in the third quarter and it was 24 to 10. I was like, okay, now this feels right. Yeah. <laughs> Six minutes later – uh Illinois is up 14 that that makes more sense to me yeah. now this this isn't a simulation that's off the rails this is back on the rails so. <laughs> Illinois getting some momentum going into this Michigan State game um uh, how does it feel yeah. that there's one team in this Illinois Michigan State game that can gain bowl eligibility and it's not it feels <laughs> 
it feels about right for how the 2019 sports are going for me so far. Uh, I just hope that Tuesday night I get one good thing. That's all I'm asking for. Uh, and then I'll have to deal with the uh, consequences of football for the rest of the week. Yep. Well, we'll see. We're still a week away from that. We still have a couple of days till our preview. Um, any other fun college football stuff you want to talk about before we uh, go? Uh, everyone needs to watch the AAC. Um, I don't know what everyone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what everyone's you know preferred uh, football is outside of their teams, but you know, I over the last probably two to three years, I've just become. It helps that I went to a D two school, I think, but I've just become a huge fan of watching all the MAC games or watching the AAC. Yeah, the athletes maybe aren't as good, uh, but you just see some awesome, awesome things. Whether it's young coaches trying stuff out. Uh, or just, you know what, I don't want to watch an SEC Ugly Fest anymore just because ESPN or SB Nation or whoever tells me that I should watch it. I don't really care about them. Uh, but watching that Memphis SMU game last night was everything you want in college football. Uh, you had the human interest story with one of the Memphis wide receiver giving a kid with Down syndrome gloves, and the kid was naturally adorable. Uh, it was just – and then you had – I think when I was watching in the fourth quarter, there was maybe eight offensive plays and four touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, it was insane. Uh, the Liberty Bowl was very full and very loud, the way that a school who never gets to be on national TV will be when you allow it. Um, and so uh, it made me very happy and then very angry that I'm like, you know what, the, the playoff has ruined college football and the fact that all we care about is the top four and none of these schools are going to make the playoffs, but – they're way more fun to watch. I'll tell you what, like, I think that the G or the uh, P5 is way too corporate now. You see all these ads and everything. Just watching that Memphis versus SMU game was probably the most fun I've had watching football all season. It was a blast. So, yeah, like, I, I, my two things were uh, stuff I could just kind of throw on my phone while I was getting stuff done at work. Um, I, I watched, like, most of the fourth quarter of Florida, Georgia, and actually had fun. And yeah, that was a pretty fun game too. Surprisingly compare though to that Memphis SMU game. No, no. Watching Jake Fromm throw three yard outs is not nearly as much fun. I don't care that they're, they're both like top 10 programs. That's not nearly as much fun as I had watching SMU and Memphis. That's for sure. Yeah. So just to show you guys, like if you didn't catch this game, how it absolutely insane it was with about 12, 13 minutes left in the game. It's 40 to 24, Memphis. It's a 16 point game, but SMU has the ball. They run a flea flicker, hit like a 45 yard bomb for a touchdown on it. Boy, Get that's what you're telling me. This was like a reverse flea flicker. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, so I completely. Running back hands it to the receiver who throws it back to the quarterback. And then this wasn't a flea flicker like normal where the guy is wide open. He had to throw it in a window to where the receiver dove for the ball, it was that might be the best throw I've seen all year. And that was from Shane Buclia with uh, SME. That was gorgeous. And it was still a fantastic catch that he had to make. Like, yeah. all around, that was the best play I've seen this year in college football. Um, so they get the two-point conversion. It brings it to an eight-point game where you're sitting there like, oh, man, here we go. That We got a game here. And then on the, like, the third play, of Memphis's drive when they get the ball back, they hit them for a 60-yard score at, to make it a 15-point game. SMU goes three and out, and then a minute later, Memphis runs off, like rattles off an 80-yard touchdown run in which he should have been down after about four or five yards and escaped and then pulled it off. It literally went from, oh, man, this is a game, to a 22-point th- a game in like three minutes of game time. Yeah, so the let me just kind of read you. Uh, we'll pick up where you said. Uh, so we talk about uh, SMU scoring that touchdown uh, on the flea flicker. Here's the – I'm going to go drive by drive. Next drive, Memphis starts at their own 46. They run it for five yards, and then the next play is a 49-yard touchdown. Then we have that three and out. Uh, and then, like you talked about, Antonio Gibson, 78-yard touchdown. Then SMU gets the ball, and on their third play, they get a 68-yard touchdown run, uh, and then they run a uh, – then 
Memphis gets the ball five plays and a punt. SMU gets it, and then this is like where we get back to old school football. It was a 12-play drive, which only took three minutes, though. I don't know how that happens, but as an MSU fan, a 12-play drive should take nine minutes. Um, SMU scores and runs the greatest two-point conversion I've ever seen, which is the quarterback running to the right and then throwing a backwards lateral to a offensive lineman who was lined up as a tight end who walks into the end zone. That was the one you, that was for the cover, right? <laughs> depends who people got it. Some people got Memphis at five and a half, yeah. but many people had Memphis at six and a half, and that is the greatest backdoor cover and the greatest <laughs> two-point conversion you will ever see. And it didn't matter because Memphis ended up being able to run the clock out after the onside kick didn't work. So, is- yeah, greatest oh. football game ever. Uh, we're not going to be a Peaky Blinders podcast, but I may make us a Memphis podcast. Uh, just, oh, that was the greatest game. And Memphis plays Cincinnati uh, on Black Friday. So if you're looking to oh, atone for missing Memphis, you should really check out Memphis playing Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. We just um, trash-talked trash ECU last week, and they just almost beat Cincinnati. Yeah. Cincinnati yeah. had the to greatest take a conference. walk-off. A walk-off. The AAC, the AAC is so much fun. Uh, you, everyone needs to be watching it. This week, we also start with the Wednesday Maction starts this week. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't been watching the top teams, at least in the AAC, you really should. And then last night even kept going in the, uh, the late, late hour. Boise State was given all they wanted from San Jose State. Uh, that was a great game, too. Um, so, yeah, just a fun day of football. It was great. I went into it. It was an MSU bye week. I felt like it was awful. And up until I left for the hockey game, I really thought, yeah, this bye week sucks because I didn't get to see one good football game. And little did I know I was going to come home to two just beautiful games. And it was because I didn't have to watch the Power Five and boring coaches. That being said, like next weekend with Minnesota Penn State and uh, Alabama LSU that we're going, I think that's going to be some really fun Power Five football. I it will be, wait. but I. Maybe this is just me being angry that I'm making the life choice of going to MSU, Illinois, which for who knows what reason got scheduled at 3.30. I now hate the big noon thing because this needs to be a noon game so I can be home for the LSU-Alabama game. But unfortunately, that's going to be a DVR special for me. Wait, why aren't they playing that game in Tuscaloosa at night? I know it's in November, but they're in Alabama. Uh, I think – I think it's because CBS has used up their two night games. That is garbage. I how do you? That's what I'm guessing because I think it's because uh, uh, I think I know they used one on the Georgia Notre Dame game and didn't they have another CBS already used up their other night game or something? I'm sure so. they did, but I don't know how you like look at this LSU team that they had hype going into the year. It's not like them rising to number one is like crazy. And then you, <sighs> what a mistake by those people. Um, yeah, I wish it was a night game, too, just so I could, uh, could, I could see the whole thing live. But, uh, you know, the good thing is that MSU does not have Wi-Fi like the Horseshoe does. So me getting score updates at Spartan Stadium is going to be pretty rare. So I, uh, I might be able to kind of catch down the DVR without being colored too much uh, into what happened. So yeah, um, and I'll get to skip it and watch it in like an hour and a half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this was a fun episode. I like doing the midweek thing, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll fit them in when we can, people, because uh, we have a lot to cover, especially over the next month and a half. And, you know, we, we want to get in-depth to everything as we can. So like we talked about earlier in the episode, big, big game for uh, Michigan State to open up the season against Kentucky. And hopefully – for my Spartan fans, they get a win. And you know what? I'll root for you guys over Calipari any day, as long as it's not in the tournament, because I don't like when rivals win championships. But <laughs> Hot take. Yeah, crazy. I know I'm a bit radical on that one. But uh, other than that, we will see you guys Thursday, and we will have a preview of the Michigan State-Illinois game. Not trying to discourage anybody from listening, just stating what we're going to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we will also preview some big Big Ten hockey series, and we will have a, a recap in from that uh, Michigan State-Kentucky game. Any parting thoughts, Jeremy? No, no, just looking forward to seeing everyone Thursday, uh, some basketball starting up. And, uh, yeah, we're hitting a good point of the year, even though 
uh, for MSU football for sure. And I know even Michigan fans are a little disappointed at uh, where the football season has gone. Uh, it's still a great time of year when you've got hope in two other sports. And, and like we talked about today, a lot of good national college football stuff going on. Uh, my one parting word again was don't, just don't care about the playoffs. It's okay. There's a lot of more fun stuff out there than the playoffs teams. So uh, especially as a Michigan, Michigan State fan, having to watch Ohio State probably march its way to the playoffs. Uh, enjoy the other fun stuff that's out there. Yeah, I mean, we're only almost four weeks away from that game. So I tell you what, if we if Michigan beats Michigan State, I uh, I might get into a dangerous zone of optimism that you're going to need to take me out of. But we I will. won't need to because I think Indiana will take care of it for you the next week and at least give you a scare. So. It never matters, you know. We always, for some reason, <laughs> we always play Indiana before Ohio State, and they put a scare into us. And my logic is always really dumb, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe they were just game planning for Ohio State. So like by by the Tuesday before, uh, by the Tuesday before the Ohio State game, I'll be talking myself into it, and then by Thanksgiving, I'm just gonna be full full on sitting here like, yeah, this is the year we break the streak, and it won't happen. <laughs> So, uh, you, yeah, I'll start getting my therapist skills ready. Yeah, Michigan State fans, you should look forward to that, uh, those podcasts before and after the Ohio State game to see me show my ass and then just be absolutely devastated the week after. But other than that, we are going to head out and we will see you later this week. Have a good week, people.